are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Hey there, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you with me. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work, and it is is originally connected to the work that I've been doing over the last decade around meaning and work research. It's also a complement to the work that I do at Insignium, which is a management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a moment, but first, a big shout out to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you don't know them, they are the leading locally focused job board in the nation and are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Great partnership. For this week's conversation, with me is Eric Welch, a social entrepreneur and founder and CEO of The Impact Project. We'll be talking about Eric's perspective on volunteering, how The Impact Project was born, the work they're doing to create sustainability in villages around the world, and how they enroll and work with people who choose to join the mission and movement. He joins us today from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Eric, great to have you with me. Welcome to Working on Purpose. Hey, well, thanks for having me, Lisa. Uh, it's an honor and a Looking forward to uh, spending some time with you tonight and sharing some thoughts. Likewise. And, of course, as I said before in our first conversation, I love that Midwestern accent of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I also uh, want to give a oh, – go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. I was gonna say, it's, uh, you don't even have a, a Dallas accent, so I can't even say right back at you. I know. I know. I'm from the Northwest originally, so but it sure is fun to spot a great accent when I hear one. <laughs> um, I do want to also give a nice shout-out and thanks to our common friend, Dr. Ted Fisher, who is the professor of anthropology at Vanderbilt, among other things, and the author of The Good Life. He is the kind gentleman who connected us. So I want to say thank you to you, Dr. Fisher. Thanks again for putting us together. I'm looking forward to hearing about this, Eric. I've been looking forward to sharing it with our listeners. So before we get into specifics, would you say just a bit about yourself, just in case I've entirely botched my intro of you? Oh, yeah. No, you did good. I am a Wisconsin native. That is true. And uh, I'm not from Canada. I just sound a bit like (laughs) it if you're not from here. (laughs) But we're far enough north that it's close enough if you live in the the south. Um, And uh, I've been here my whole life. I've never really escaped the gravitational pull of northeast Wisconsin. Uh, And uh, I met my wife. uh, We're we're kind of a Mayberry story, small town Wisconsin story. Uh, My wife, Heidi, and I I uh, just celebrated 18 years on uh, Monday, and uh, we met in high school, so it's one of those Mayberry stories of uh, small-town kids growing up together kind of thing, And uh, uh, but that's kind of the way we like it. And uh, so we're just south of Green Bay, and uh, of course we're Packer fans, so we can cover that right away. And uh, <laughs> if, if you're not, they show up on your front yard with pitchforks and demand the reason, you know, a reasoning. So <laughs> it's uh, one of those places, I guess. Um, but that's, yeah, and we uh, actually, between us, uh, combined on purpose with uh, each other, have eight children. So I always have to clarify that it's not from uh, multiple uh, marriages or anything. We actually had eight children together, and uh, probably makes us crazy in a lot of people's eyes, but it maybe it's that uh, old Wisconsin farm family uh, rubbed off on us somewhere along the way. I'm not sure, but uh, we have a very busy life of uh, a teenage driver all the way down to a, a one still in diapers, so we have a 
I have a, a busy professional life and a really busy life at home as well. So uh, it's kind of a, a little bit of our story. Wow, Eric. Um, very inspiring. For those of us who are sitting there wondering, do we have time to do something more with our life? I think we've now ruled out that, in fact, we do. If you've got eight children and can start the Impact Project, I think somehow we can stop making excuses for ourselves. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Uh, and I'm curious, though. I mean, you've—I know that in our conversation by phone, you've done other endeavors before you started the Impact Project. And I—I want to understand: Have you always had in mind to start a company or an organization like the Impact Project? Uh, I'd say that the straight answer is no, not really. But if I reflect on it, I guess I would say I've always been involved in, or found myself in positions of things that were uh, affecting people's lives. Right? I always kind of was uncomfortable with the idea of just working to pay my bills if I had a better option to do something that had more meaning than just earning enough money to take care of myself. And even though I've done that as well at times. So I, yeah, I've worked uh, for a few years with marketing and development in a marriage organization. And I uh, spent quite a few years in coaching and team development uh, types of things. So it's always been uh, investing in people uh, and doing things like that. So it's, uh, but I don't, I never really had it on my bucket list to uh, start a company. Um, and uh, But it was something I just felt uh, kind of called to do because I couldn't figure out any other way to accomplish something that was kind of burning inside me. Uh, so I had to uh, figure out how to make it happen, and that uh, led us to kind of starting our own venture. And which I absolutely want to hear to hear more about. And, of course, as you know, Eric, from the mission of my radio show and our conversation, you are – you know, speaking to my heart when you talk about this idea of really leaning in to find a way to work to your meaning, to be able to make that come to fruition. I think so many of the listeners that are out there right now are begging to be able to find that same place. So the fact that you've done this hopefully is inspiring to these people. So I want to hear about how this whole thing came to be. And you told me that the Impact Project was born after a mission trip to Africa. Would love to hear more about that for our listeners, that experience and the impact of it. Yeah, well, and, and I think it's fascinating that you spent a career researching uh, the idea of you know people pursuing passion and meaning and purpose in their work. I've just lived it. Uh, I wasn't researching it. I was just trying to find my own path. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. interesting that we found each other. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, uh, five years ago, approximately in September, it'll be five years, uh, I found myself on a trip to Africa uh, through a unique set of circumstances. wasn't even sure why I was going there in the end, but I just felt it was something I was supposed to do. And uh, while I was there, I kind of discovered why, looking back at it, now with hindsight. Um, but the, I was gone for 17 days, so there's a lot of stories that we don't have time for. But kind of the, the snapshot is what I found there was my first real trip out of country to any extent or any uh, of any significance. And um, we're in uh, Tanzania, as we would say, or Tanzania, if you were uh, a native. And so w- what I found there is that I, I had a skewed perspective of poverty and uh, living in America my whole life. The lenses I wore to view things like that were a little bit skewed and off. And uh, one of the things that kind of shocked me was um, the capacity of people to make change in their own life. Uh, they had this inner capacity uh, and this will to change, and I found it very inspiring and humbling um, because they're... Uh, they're just so willing to work for a better life, and they were, you know, and they're community focused and future oriented and generationally oriented. And um, it was quite the contrast from a lot of the general attitudes or approach to life that you can kind of get by a little too easy in America. So it's easy to let those things slip a little bit. And 
so along the way, what I saw is I, I saw people that there was solutions. Of course, you see the problems that's easy to see, but what I saw was solutions, and there, there are solutions to these problems uh, that exist. So they're not like we don't know how to fix the problems. It's 2016. Of course, we you know we have ways to fix problems in the world of poverty and self. And we want to be part of um, doing something important or meaningful in our life. Where's the disconnect? You know, why why aren't there more problems being solved? And why aren't the people who have a heart to create solutions for the people able to do more? And that's uh, sort of what got me going on the path of trying to figure out a model uh, where we could marry together solutions to problems with people who are ready to be transformed and people who want to be a part of providing that and be a part of something bigger than themselves and kind of connecting those worlds um, and creating a platform for that, those connections to be made. Uh, we lost a little bit of what you were saying there, but I think we've got, I, I got the general gist there. And what I want to say to that, Eric, is one, the fact that the mind of yours seems to be able to connect those two dots in, a, in an effective, solution-oriented way is fantastic. Fantastic. Um, I guess I would be interested, you, you may have said some of this in what you said before that may have cut out there, but I would like to understand better why you think the Impact Project actually exists today. How do you, how do you think that bringing those two forces together really helps serve your mission? Oh, yeah. And apologize, I cut out there. I'm not sure what happened. but um, I think it was a technology so, issue. No worries. Okay. Um, well, so we started our company, Impact Project, and it's really it's the simplest way to think of it. It's a platform that allows average people to live lives of greater purpose and impact by connecting them to uh, something they can plug into, right? So uh, a lot of people want to make a bigger difference. They want to change the world. Um, you know, so it makes sense to give them a way to do it if more if people really express they want to do that in their life more often. And so kind of the three problems that we solve or that we're trying to bring and is a couple words that we camp out on a lot uh, internally. Um, and one of them is empowerment. Really, our whole model is about uh, empowering people on all sides of the spectrum of what we're doing. And another one is sustainability and scalability. Um, so... There's, we have people who care, they have solutions to problems, and then we have communities that are ready to grow in a way that's sustainable and holistic and, and, uh, and dignified. And a lot of those things don't happen traditionally uh, through methodology, methodologies of charity because charity tends to rob people of their dignity. Not saying charitable intentions aren't good or charity organizations aren't good, but just a methodology of giving free stuff to poor people tends to rob people of their dignity. And that's really kind of an, you know, some of the enlightening that's gone on uh, in recent years in our approach to how we do sustainable development and things in impoverished countries or even in our backyard. Um, I don't want to be the recipient of charity. You know, it, uh, no one really does. And so really what we're trying to do is it's all about empowerment. We come alongside people, and we're not pitying poor people. We're partnering with poor people because they have the same desire to live the best life they can, just like I do. You know, a father in Guatemala has the same inherent desires as a father as I do in Wisconsin. And if I can partner alongside a mechanism that allows me to serve him, and I get more of what I want for my life in the process of helping him get more of what he wants for his life, that makes sense. Now, as simple as that sounds, there just hasn't been a lot of mechanisms for people to plug into something like that before. So it's really what we set out to create is a uh, a platform and a kind of a 
um, an environment or a community where people can that desire to be a part of something like that, they can plug into it, and they don't have to create it like we have. They just could kind of join in uh, with us and just bring their kind of their their heart to care and a cell phone, and that's really about what they need to help make some real change in the world. That is really beautiful, Eric. And a couple of things I just really want to comment comment on really quick. There, one is. I, I really applaud that you recognize that people do want to help. People do want to plug in and, and be part of a solution and not just sit by and, and watch the problem go by them. But you're right. They don't know how to do it. They need some kind of mechanism to be able to do that. And I think it's beautiful that you have created this platform and this community for them to plug into. Uh, I think that that is uh, brilliant on so many so many levels. Um, the other thing that I want to really applaud and recognize is what you said about the difference um, or your differentiation from being a charity. You've chosen purposely not to be a charity, it sounds like, although even though what, what it sounds like you're doing has a charitable element to it, you've chosen to distinguish yourself from the element of removing what can be a removal of dignity when people receive charity. And I think that's really interesting. Well, and, chari- and there are charities who are very holistic and empowering in how they approach it. Um, maybe they haven't always been that way, but I think that's fortunately something that's growing in its um, in a, an approach. Even in large traditional charities, are starting to adapt. But uh, we're we're mainly not a charity in how we file taxes. Um, but other than that, you know, we have the charitable heart as far as what the intentions are and the purpose for our being is to you know, serve and solve problems for people and empower people in life and things like that. But, you know, there's a million and a half charities um, and they're, you know, typically struggling with the exact same thing as uh, funding and they're stretched thin and they uh, are trying to do more with less and uh, that problem's only getting worse as time goes on. So it only made sense to kind of go along with where the trends are, which is social enterprise and in different forms of uh, organizational structure to accomplish the end goal. Um, so that's really the, why we chose the approach is uh, no less, um, less of, not any less of a charitable heart, just a, what we feel is maybe a better strategy to execute and get where we want to go, which is sustainability as an organization, but also uh, scalability so we can solve bigger problems and grow. And uh, there's just some of those things that you're not um, constrained by. Um, you know, uh, one of my favorite TED Talks is, uh, by Dan Pallotta, and uh, I think the title is called What If We're Dead Wrong About Charity? And one of my things that stuck with me in there is he talks about the scalability factor and the amount of charitable organizations that have ever grown beyond $50 million since 1970. There's only 144 of them, but there's 46,000 for-profit cor- corporations that have grown past the $50 million mark in that same period of time. So if we're going to, the, the mechanisms and the, the levers available to pull in to solve big problems that are global in nature, uh, it seems to be there's a uh, there's access to things in the business side that you can't do in a traditional nonprofit. So it seems to make sense. And that's really why I think there's a lot of focus and energy uh, towards whether it's B corporations or social enterprise or, you know, different types of social innovations and different ways of approaching uh, old problems with new models because uh, if all the old ways of doing it had worked, we still wouldn't have the same problems. Mm. 
And that is something that I think I really want to make sure that our listeners understand, Eric, is that what you are doing is you are attempting to uh, solve these problems through business. And that is maybe something new for some people. Um, But obviously, it's a growing trend for just the numbers that you just gave us there. Um, But I think it's important that our listeners do understand that that's kind of what, among other things, distinguishes your approach. Um, I want to hear more about that. We'll have to go on a break here shortly. But um, before we go, I mean, just when you think about it there, this notion of marrying, if you will, the business with your charitable mindset. I mean, that's, that's what you're trying to do, No. And yeah, and ultimately, businesses are created to solve problems, right? Uh, you know, Mr. Goodyear created to solve the problem of riding around on steel tires didn't work as good as riding around on rubber, right? And uh, so, it, it, businesses solve problems. Good businesses do, and so why not solve problems that are noble uh, and important? Uh, and, you know, so it's really not um, not necessarily a new idea. There's been, you know, but it's uh, certainly a growing idea of not just I would say we're not we're, uh, not qualifying us as a for-profit. I would say not just for profit <laughs> is kind of how I phrase it. Uh, that yes, technically we're a for-profit company, but we're not just for profit. We're the whole uh, the essence of why we're doing what we're doing uh, is way beyond that, uh, and it's way more exciting and fun to work for purpose uh, beyond profit, just profit. Mm. I'm with you. And a perfect way to cue us up for a break here, Eric. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Eric Welch, who is a social entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of The Impact Project. We've been talking a bit about his mindset about volunteerism and how The Impact Project was born. After the break, we'll get more into detail about what's actually happening and how they actually move the dial. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. 
Again, that's one 346 9141 You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Eric Welch, who is the founder and CEO of The Impact Project, which aims to effectively solve social problems and create sustainability in villages around the world through the power of business and empowerment. Eric joins us today from Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Eric, before the break, we were just about ready to talk a little bit about where this vision came from. I know we said that it started in Africa, but you're currently working in Guatemala. So how did you choose to focus on Guatemala? Yeah, they're, uh, they're quite a bit different. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, obviously, we're, we were going to choose an area that had challenges, you know, that needed to be solved, and there's no shortage of those in the world. And Guatemala is one of the more challenged uh, countries in this half of the world. Um, one of the reasons that was attractive on the uh, onset of thinking about Guatemala was that it's uh, easy to get to, and we knew we wanted to be uh, boots on the ground uh, quite a bit and bring teams of people there and bring people there to see the work we're doing. Uh, so we knew that that would eventually be a part of the equation, and it's a whole lot easier uh, to get to Guatemala than Africa, that's for sure. And uh, so that was kind of an initial spark, but really what locked it in is when I went to Guatemala, uh, I had the uh, good fortune of meeting uh, a gentleman by the name of Eduardo Beggermans, and he is one of the uh, world-leading experts on holistic community development. And uh, he really caught the vision for what we were doing and uh, fell in love with the, the concept of how uh, we could serve Guatemala with our model and really served as a an anchor point uh, in how to serve people there and not have our good intentions have unintended consequences, uh, which often happens when people from the outside come in and try to solve a problem in a country they don't understand. And, uh, of course, so he's Guatemalan um, himself and has a deep passion and an expertise for uh, this subject matter. So it really helped uh, solidify that idea of uh, Guatemala, which looked good on paper but uh, made tons of sense once we knew that uh, he was in our court. It was going to be uh, one of our resources that we could, uh, kind of like I said, as an anchor point into uh, our approach there. And, you know, I have a couple things I want to ask about that. One, how did you meet Senor Magramans? How did yeah. you meet? Um, I was actually it's similar to the Dr. Ted story, uh, a mutual contact with someone I know who was a, uh, a, a John Maxwell leadership coach, uh, had been in the country of Guatemala. They were doing all kinds of leadership development on a very high scale, and they were uh, this uh, woman was there and had met him, and we happened to be talking, and she knew my passion for what was stirring inside of me, and it was the early stages, uh, so it was 2013, um, and uh, she says, you know, I was just in Guatemala, and I think you should go down there, and, uh, and he was uh, part of the initial people that I met when I got there, and he took, took us on a tour and took us out into the countryside and explained to us uh, how, how to do things right and how people do things wrong and showed us examples of both, and um, so it was, he was kind of a gift that was delivered to us uh, right when we got there. He was part of the welcoming party almost when I got to the country. Well, and I, what I want to call out about that, Eric, and this is really important for our listeners to understand, that when we have a dream like you have, Eric, the importance of enrolling other people who can help us in that dream is crucial, right? That's how we enroll mm-hmm. people into the possibility of what we want for ourselves in our lives. And the fact that you were able to do that with him is beautiful and demonstrative of the importance of that critical task. So I want to give you huge kudos for that. 
Um, the second thing that I want to I want to get into with regard to him, and I, I know I'm going to butcher this, but when you you and I spoke on the phone, you mentioned that he shared with you a really critical, pivotal um, principle. Let me just try to see if I can pronounce <laughs> this, and then you correct it for me, okay? Okay. Aruma Nostagashi. Hey, that's way closer than most. Yes. <laughs> okay, um, so do it right yep. for us. So, so it's a Japanese uh, principle, Aruma Nostagashi, and it's. Uh, really has to do with this idea of starting with what exists. So it's uh, an idea of uh, observing and and uh, cherishing where you're starting from and not thinking about lack, but thinking about the starting place, what you do have to start from. And it's really, uh, it's kind of infiltrated into our uh, entire model from front to back. And because it's really where we're allowing, um, when we work with villages, it's really one of the key processes that we do because the work of community development in a holistic way where you're empowering people and is you have to build them up on the inside while you're building the community around them. Otherwise, if there's too much of a disconnect, uh, they either don't take ownership of the changes uh, because they feel some outsider made the changes, and then they're not empowered to create change without you, right? So when we, we're in a village, our goal is we're we're there between three and five years and can't really be there less than three years to do the things that we know we can accomplish. But if we're there longer than five, uh, we made the mistake of uh, it being too centered on us and us not uh, empowering them and, and creating just a catalytic environment for people to see themselves as the change. And that's really part of the, the process, and I'm oversimplifying it, but uh, the Aramono Sagashi is, starts with a study and you kind of come in and work with the community leaders and work with the people and, and they create, they tell us what, they want done in the community. We don't prescribe anything. We don't come in with outside answers. Uh, even Eduardo, even though he's Guatemalan, comes in with a blank slate and says, you tell me what the problems are and what do you people want to solve and then how can we co-create together and create a, a platform for that to happen. So that's where uh, each village we're working in has slightly different uh, things we're, we're working on as solutions with products uh, that solve problems uh, like Dr. Ted's uh, Manny Plus uh, solution for malnutrition uh, is a perfect example of malnutrition is very chronic across the country, so that's always going to be in play. But there's other things that may certain villages may have a bigger water problem than others or a school or a health clinic type of problem. So as we prog- progress and scale up our efforts in that village, we will tackle uh, bigger and different problems depending on what level of development we're working on in those villages. And uh, so that's so we're picking small villages because we can create wins there. We can create very tangible results because people want to feel that, and and then we can uh, go from level one types of things of you know water and health and nutrition and to more sustainable things of micro lending and creating industry and creating education opportunities and uh, things like that that are later on kind of up the Maslow pyramid a bit. And so the Aramonosagashi principle and that Eduardo. Uh, employees as part of walking with the community leaders and immersing himself in the community allows us to have a real perspective of what that looks like unique to each village. And then therefore there, there's no resistance to it because it's their idea. It's not our idea. Mm. I really applaud that. And I'm starting to see an interesting connection here, Eric, what I think with the last work that you did around it's well, some of the work you've done in your prior life around learning and development and probably coaching with the empowerment that you're doing with these people. I find it really interesting to imagine that you mentioned it's going to be a three to five year effort minimum and you're going to need to sustain these people. They're probably going to have moments of doubt and insurity and frankly fatigue. 
And so I would well guess, and I'd love you to say a bit about this, how it is that you sustain that empowerment in them. Well, uh, what's interesting is, is the, from what I've seen so far in, in what Eduardo, in his experience, um, it's actually quite a bit more inherent to be easy for them to grab a hold of it and not let go uh, than it is here because I think, you know, the, the challenges you just stated, uh, I could say that's true for the people driving by my window right now, right? Um, and so the 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 Aramona Sagashi print we call it Sagashi for short because it's easier to say. Uh, yes, Sagashi, thank you. <laughs> right, Sagashi is also needed for my neighbor, right? Like, if you want to change your life, let's start with where you are, and let's let's recognize it, let's value it, let's look let it, look at it for what it is, and then see what it could be from there. And so it's the same. It's, it's I think it's a sort of a human development concept is something that's built into our heart to to want to do better as long as we are in an environment where uh, we're not feeling crushed by the impossibility of the future ahead of us. You know, and that's one of the things I've had to learn about uh, poverty is the, the poor themselves describe poverty very differently than we would. You know, they, we describe it as material poverty. We say, well, they got rusted tin roofs and dirt floors and uh, malnutrition in their bellies. But the poor themselves describe it in ways that are like having an empty heart or not knowing their abilities and strengths or feeling isolated or feeling like they're alone and no one cares or they're, they're, no one knows they exist in the world, right? So that's, so they don't identify it the same. And those are interesting studies that I've uh, read over time that is hard for us to relate to when you go there and you see the obvious material poverty. But then I think we have, uh, you know, this trend towards, I call purpose poverty, um, you know, mm. people here, but we're not, we're not lacking, you know, generally speaking, we're not lacking calories. We probably have too many calories. We have an epidemic of diabetes, so that tells us something, but uh, maybe, maybe bad quality uh, of calories. But, the, um, but people are striving for what? Meaning and purpose. And, you know, the millennial generation specifically is, you know, very oriented towards um, they're, they're looking to gain experiences and do something that matters in life, not just accumulate things and earn money, you know, and I think that's, so I think there's a, it's a correlation. We, I think there's a, a similar starting or a similar end game that we're after. Uh, I'm just starting from a very different starting point uh, than someone who was born in Guatemala. You know, that was a beautiful way to describe that, Eric. And, of course, what you said about the U.S. probably has, is trending toward a purpose um, poverty. I love that. And, of course, my show, I want that to be a bridge to help improve that, of course. I really get that. And so I, I think it would be probably pretty pretty important for our listeners to understand how does the impact project movement actually work? What's the model? Well, uh, so I'll, I'll back up for a second on a little bit of, so we, we pick these villages and then we, we identify solutions, right? So that much I already referred to. And then we create like a village marketplace online. So then what we allow people to do um, is participate in helping solve problems for the village, depending on, uh, purchasing certain products that are a part of that village's specific need. And um, mm-hmm. so uh, we often refer to what we're doing as sort of a hybrid of a crowdfunding model. And, and one of the instances where that's true, there's several varieties of where that makes sense to describe it that way, but one of them is is uh, we're, we're providing uh, these clean-burning cook stoves. Well, okay. they're... So people can purchase a whole one if they want to, but it's usually a little bit out of the reach of most people what they want to participate in financially to do it on their own. So they, we allow people to buy in shares, and then they could gather a group of friends and kind of uh, say, hey, let's buy a cook stove for this village together and 
seven friends get together and everyone buys one share and other kind of crowdfunding on a, on a micro level like that as well. But we're kind of crowdfunding the entire village, right? We're trying to aggregate uh, people with uh, good intentions, good hearts, and some passion and a little bit of money in their pocket, combining it to create big, massive change in a focused area. Uh, so that's part of when, if we refer to the crowdfunding, um, kind of where, where that kind of plays in at several levels like that. But, and then as, so as people participate in that, um, we call our participants advocates, um, because they're advocating two ways. One, they're advocating with a little bit of their money. We presume we don't, uh, we don't force anything upon anyone. Pretty much say whatever is in your heart to do or whatever you feel passionate about doing. Participate that way. If, uh, someone's a nutrition oriented person, uh, they may gravitate towards that. Or if they're, um, more, you know, a clean water person or, Eventually, when we have more initiatives for education or health and things like that, that may um, kind of like pick your passion and pick your price point that you want to participate with us. And really what we're after isn't necessarily uh, anyone's uh, wallet, maybe on a, a small scale, little little uh, bits and pieces of money, but really what we're after is their heart and their voice. And so then we have the a sharing component. So another way people advocate besides a personal funding of something in some way is uh, to share this message and allow the people the opportunity to uh, join the movement and be a part of something that's uh, transparent and authentic and, and very tangible, as tangible as it can be without ever being there yourself. We're trying to uh, give that opportunity and that experience for people that really feel like uh, something real is happening, and uh, people get pretty excited about that. Well, I'm going to tell you, as you may recall from our phone conversation, I get pretty excited about that because you might recall that I am going to be doing my first ever medical mission trip to Guatemala in September with an organization here from Dallas called Helps International. And I am really excited about it, Eric, because I don't have another way to be able to connect and help. And it's a mechanism for me to do that. And among other things, there is a medical piece, but we'll probably also be installing some of those clean cook stoves that you're talking about. So it is incredibly exciting, Eric. And the fact that I get to have a very small little week of my life that I get to do this is incredibly important to me. And I think that you're doing that for other people who are joining your movement is remarkable that you are providing access on that level for meaning in their lives, purpose in their world is incredible. I'm so excited you're going. I can't wait to uh, connect with you after you get back and uh, we'll have a fun conversation for sure. But yeah, you know, and I think there's a reason, right? Like going on a, a trip like that to a developing country is a pretty common bucket list thing. And, you know, and I was like, well, why? I mean, it was on my list. I went to Africa without really knowing why I was there, you know, and um, that's not a small trip. And, um, but it's just something that we just want to see life from that different lens and perspective. So as much as possible, uh, with technology that's available today, we want to try to provide that, um, basically bring a, you know, we can provide a micro version of what you're going to get by going on that uh, trip through your phone, through feedback and storytelling and the things that we could do. Uh, that's what we strive to do is to, uh, you never have to leave you know, your your home or your backyard necessarily, but you can feel uh, connected to uh, others' lives in a different, very different place in a different world and maybe even be hard to understand, but we can connect it and you can benefit um, from it, uh, from, you know, having that perspective check and having that uh, awareness and that global citizenship in a way um, without having to necessarily go. 
and uh, mm. not not everyone will go. But so we want to we don't want to leave people out that uh, we don't want to make it just transactional. We want to make it you know very uh, connected and real and authentic and transparent. So uh, the technology is available to do it. You know we're taking the um, the, the technology that's just you know, been developed for other means and repurposing it to do something quite profound. Uh, I'm just really impressed at your ability to be able to create this vision, Eric, and to be able to execute on on your purpose, on your on your on the vision. It's really impressive, and I'm thrilled to have you on the radio show. I do want to learn more about those advocates who join your movement. Uh, I want to learn a little bit more about what they do to help you execute on your mission. I know you mentioned a few things, but I want to make sure our listeners get a better feel for that so that anybody who feels called or connected can maybe get involved. And we'll, of course, give your website toward the end of the show. But let me take a quick short break here before we get into that. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Eric Welch, who is a social entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of The Impact Project. After the break, we'll say more about those advocates and get more into really where his organization is heading and what he might need to develop. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour. Star Style Be the Star You Are with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Eric Welch, who is the founder and the CEO of the Impact Project, which aims to effectively solve social problems and create sustainability in villages around the world through the power of business and empowerment. He joins us today from Green Bay, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Eric, before the break, we were just queuing up a bit about what you call the people who join your movement. You call them advocates. And it strikes me that it's really important how you socialize people into your movement, how you call them, how you address them, how you engage them. So what do they do to help you actually execute on your mission? Well, there's two key actions. Uh, one of them is uh, obviously we someone needs to buy something in order to help these people. So that's a part of it is uh, you know, one of the activities is funding um, a solution that they can feel passionate about. So an example is uh, Dr. Ted Fisher, who is our mutual connector, uh, his organization that he formulated, uh, uh, NutriPlus, uh, has a product called ManiPlus, which is a, a malnutrition solution um, that's kind of like a, uh, a large-sized ketchup packet that has a fortified peanut butter paste in it that kids love and eat and it tastes good and they... So they consume that every day. Well, that's something you can participate in uh, in these villages. So you can go on our website and buy that. It's $12 a week to provide that uh, life-changing, life-saving uh, alternative for something as, as small as $12 a week. So that's an example of lowering the, the barrier to entry to a very bite-sized piece that's pretty much doable for anyone who has uh, you know a heart to want to be a part of it. It's not a financial barrier to do something. But then the other part of it that we bring in and this is really where the power comes from, is having this platform and this mechanism for uh, giving people a chance to kind of build a micro-movement of their own uh, through social media and just through sharing uh, what they're passionate about and letting other people plug in and participate in it. So the, uh, so the advocate is both a noun and a verb uh, in, that, uh, in our description. And one of the things that people often ask, because it's the common question in, in, in charity and things you donate to is, but where's the money really going? And I think one of the things that's fun for people here is that they know exactly what is happening with the money because you're deciding uh, exactly what happens. You're purchasing Manny Plus for a certain village or you're helping with a clean burning cook stove for the other village. And so you're choosing what and where uh, your, your money is going towards. So there's not really any mysterious uh, you know, uh, efficiency equations or things like that needed. It's pretty much a direct linear relationship. So that... It's part of what makes it easy for people to connect with and feel like it's more tangible uh, than just uh, global huge problems and I'm giving money to an organization that I think in the back end I hope is doing something good. Uh, it's actually a little more tangible than that um, through the connectivity of the website. And then we track that. Uh, we use the, the technology that Amazon uh, uses to track their affiliates and who people refer people to Amazon and they pay out a commission. Well, we're leveraging the same technology. We live in this peer-to-peer um, sharing world, right, with this high hyper-connected world, and uh, so people want to get information from each other, right, and that's what the social networks are about is, so this is something worthwhile to talk about, that as people talk about, we know who referred people, because it's all tracked uh, through our system, and then we, we credit those people and, and give, we have a rewards program, uh, so we uh, do all kinds of different incentives and recognition and and even uh, financial incentives where people could actually earn uh, a commission and, uh, and, in effect, be a paid fundraiser for helping change lives um, if that's how they want to choose to approach it. So that's, so that's really kind of the, the full spectrum of 
uh, a simple purchase or funding, as we call it, uh, a funding of a solution for a family or a, or a village to uh, something that's uh, on the scale of really trying to create their own um, micro social enterprise built upon our platform and leverage their strengths and their passion and their network uh, to really change a lot of lives and, and have some uh, personal rewards that go with it. It sounds incredibly well thought out to me, Eric. Incredibly well structured, well thought out, well principled. I'm just really impressed with how you've set that up and leveraged such things as social media and technology to achieve your mission. I think that's just very forward thinking. And I know you are a fairly young man, so I'm not super surprised. Even if you were an older man, I guess I'd still be impressed. But um, it, it just seems like to me that you've really thought about all the moving parts and put the pieces together in a very thoughtful way. Well, thank you. It's, uh, has, I did mention that it's been five years ago we started thinking about this, so it didn't happen overnight. <laughs> <laughs> right, I get that. And it's important that our listeners who also want to embark on something like that understand that this can be a longer-term endeavor. And, and to include people and to be able to partner with people like Dr. Ted Fisher, um, who, by the way, listeners, if you care to learn more about that, he was on the show last June um, he was on the show talking about his some of the works that he's authored and that Manny Plu project that he was talking about. So if you want to learn more about that, that's a good way to do it. But um, I, I do want to be able to make sure that our, our listeners understand we've got um, a little bit of time here to talk about this, but there's a few more things I want to make sure that that we talk about with regard to what you're up to there at the Impact Project, Eric. And one is um, I want to help our listeners understand the stage that you're in for the impact for the impact project's development and growth. Where are mm-hmm. you conceptually there? Do you think? Um, I guess I would, and it's tough to analyze yourself. <laughs> so maybe right. an outside analyst would give a different opinion. But um, when you're down in the trenches, it's hard to get the full viewpoint sometimes. But uh, I'd say we're we're in this in business terminology. I'd say we're not. We're a little bit past the uh, MVP, the minimal viable product stage. I'd say we're like MVP 2.0. Um, we have a lot. Of, <laughs> okay. we, we have we have a huge drawer full of ideas that we want to you know do over time. So it never feels like we're anywhere close to arriving. But we're uh, everything's working. We have the infrastructure built. We have all the vendor relationships in Guatemala, the villages, and and uh, everything set there to grow. And there's certainly there's no lack of need there, and that we and we won't outgrow the need uh, for quite a while. And uh, and the technology, everything's um, finally. Uh, we had some hiccups, uh, significant software hiccups last year that really uh, put us behind, but we finally got through those. So we're really at the exciting stage where it gets to be fun instead of working behind the scenes building. Uh, now we get to go uh, go and let people know we exist and they can be a part of it and uh, and scale it up and grow. Well, and one of the reasons, of course, I was keen to have you on the show, Eric, is I do believe in what you're doing, and and I wanted to give an opportunity to be able to help you enroll people in in what you're doing in this project. So, what's your vision for the Impact Project? Where do you want to take this thing? Well, I I have a a phrase that really it's uh, I I kind of have it on my whiteboard. And I'm looking at I call it empowering human capacity. And so, the easy part of this equation is. Okay, we have a village in Ocosito, Guatemala, uh, and we're gonna, you know, put in 200 cook stoves, and everyone's gonna have clean water, and they're gonna have a better school, and all the kids are gonna have uh, nourished bellies, and et cetera. So that's the easy part. Uh, but the kind of the loftier, a little more uh, tougher to measure goal is, is I want because I want this for myself, right? So I, I want to. We're gonna attract a community of people who just want to live 
lives that are more purposeful, more powerful, more missional in how they approach life. And that could include uh, things in their backyard. I'm assuming, generally speaking, we're going to attract passion-driven people uh, to our movement. Well, those people have passions and things that aren't that existed prior to us meeting. So uh, we want to empower them and equip them with resources mm-hmm. and a community of like-minded people and, and financial resources. Like I said, there's a, a, a financial win model within this that's a possibility that they could use to fund other things they're passionate about. So we want to just create a greater capacity for change making in people. Uh, So we're kind of a catalyst and sort of a platform. Uh, It's it's all driven by technology, but obviously it's it's relationships and uh, we want to just be a a place to connect all those kinds of people and then let things spring forth from there. And uh, as we approach more countries and um, eventually we'll, we'll even have domestic things we're working on, uh, not even in foreign lands. Um, people here could serve projects in our own backyard and, and gather together, uh, like-minded people into those communities. So, um, so that's where, you know, where, where we're going. We're, we're starting with what we can, uh, uh, succeed at and win and grow and scale. But, um, you know, because there's no lack of need, <laughs> the, the, the capacity to scale up and involve you know, tens and tens of thousands of people. Um, I think there's tens and tens of thousands of people who want to be a part of something that's real and tangible, and there's certainly enough need uh, for their their resources and their their assets to be used in a way that's quite profound. Um, so uh, there's really no no limitation for where it could go. And I think uh, in something like this, you tend to attract brilliant people like yourself who will uh, bring ideas and resources and guidance and access to um, you know, places and, and um, that we didn't we don't have now, but they'll become part of shaping where we go. So that's uh, part of the fun of a the startup uh, is people can be a part of helping shape how it evolves. Uh, they're not joining something that is, uh, you know, the, the the cement is still wet uh, in lots of ways <laughs> for our future. Uh, so that's kind of exciting to some people. And uh, so early adopters and people want to kind of pioneer something exciting without having to take a big risk. Uh, it's a really good pay- good place and a good timing for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to say a couple things about the next thing I want to ask you here. And let me first say that I absolutely consider myself a planetary citizen. Yes, I'm an American, very proud to be an American, and I feel very connected to the overall whole of the world. And part of that is, frankly, because I get to be a host for Voice America, and my show is listened to literally all over the world. It's amazing to me that I get to somehow touch people in distant lands and they're part of my sphere and, and they touch me and I touch them. It's an amazing opportunity for me. Um, so if you can for us, Eric, I mean, people that are listening to the show today probably are getting a little bit of what you're saying, but they're, but it's still very distant for them. So in concrete terms, help us understand what do you need to help you realize your vision? Well, we're, so like I said, the, the platform's ready, right? And uh, so if you're someone who's a, uh, uh, a connector or an influencer or someone who's just got a heart to be a part of something bigger than yourself, uh, we have built a place for you. Uh, we built a place for you to come and bring your network and your experience and um, and your passion and plug in and just can leverage what we've built uh, to involve other people in it. And uh, we talk a lot about building a movement and that can kind of be cliche, but it's really a chance for someone to build little micro movements with their community and their direct influence but then it can grow way beyond that, right? I mean, uh, you know, what we refer to, uh, like LinkedIn, you know, within a couple degrees of separation, it's massive, the potential you have. Well, we have 
a mechanism to leverage that, and that's why we say your voice has the ability to create the power here um, in in the, the sense of the term of your voice reaching out through social media or just having coffee with a friend. But so that's really, you know, uh, in addition, so just average, average busy people who want a convenient way to uh, be a part of something that's, uh, they can feel connected to that's real and tangible and they, they can, uh, know what's happening, uh, with a little bit of money, but a little bit of money can be leveraged to do way more than, uh, just the dollar amount, um, because of the multiplier effect of how we're doing things, not only from a sustainability standpoint, but also from, uh, a leveraging a community and growing it and having the X factor of the, uh, the multiplication potential of the way we've built the model. And, and then beyond that, you know, partnerships and collaborations, um, you know, uh, there's, there's more people like Dr. Ted out there that have got great solutions to, uh, solve problems that we haven't crossed paths yet that we may be, uh, an answer to each other's prayer, right? They, they need a mechanism to market what they have and get it out there into people's lives. And we need great products that solve problems and, uh, or uh, other ways of uh, collaboration and partnership that we can work alongside. Uh, what's so great about the, the space we're in is it's very collaborative. It's very, uh, no one feels like they have to do it alone. It's not, you know, hyper-competitive or trade secret-oriented. It's kind of like, hey, we're all in this together. Let's figure it out and work together. And uh, so that's really where we're at now is exploring some of those type of relationships and having some fun conversations uh, uh, with people who, uh, there's synergistic multiplier effect uh, between organizations or capacity or influence uh, and those types of things. So, um, so it's anywhere from someone with you know twelve dollars who wants to buy some Manny Plus and uh, connect a few friends and involve and create uh, tip over some dominoes like that, uh, all the way up to you know organizations or institutions or um, other uh, social ventures that uh, there could be some synergy. Okay, great, Eric. Well, perfect. We are totally out of time, so you just missed, you just went under the mark perfectly, so thank you very much for joining us. Listeners, if you want to learn more about the Impact Project, please do visit their their website. You can get there by going to impactproject.com, with or without the I will get you there, impactproject.com. See what they're doing, see if you care to be of any assistance and help and enroll yourself in the project. What a great example of a social entrepreneur who is literally showing us how to do good or actually how doing good is good business. Um, Wonderful, Eric. Thank you so much for being with us this week. Thank you, Elise. You're a beautiful person, and uh, thank you for uh, letting me join, and thank you, Voice America, for what you guys do as well. Uh, Wonderful to have you, Eric. Listeners, really appreciate you joining us for the conversation. Looking forward to seeing you next week when we have Michelle Prince on the phone who helps people find their passion, purpose, and productivity in their work. Join us then. Catch you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Work.